what we hope to accomplish today, we're still going through the What Makes the Kingdom of God Visible, uh, piggybacking off of David Cornfield's article, uh, oh, Kingdom of God Visible in Our Lives, and we're going through membership commitment tonight, which is like, I was going to go one of two ways and totally divert from uh, whatever he was going to talk about in the article and go towards self-government and talk all about self-government, which we've been trying to implement it in, like through and through as the leaven, you know, gets warped into the to the wheat every week. That like self-government is like the foundational and primary institution we as Christians um, should be seeking to expand and uh, gain more. Uh, influence, so to speak, in our own self-government, as in governing ourselves, and you know, not letting, not needing mom or dad to tell us when to eat lunch or or when to uh, when to go to bed, or not having a yeah, or when to take a shower, or not having to get disciplined by church government, and not. Not having teachers always tell us who to study and what to study and not having bosses fire us and stuff and so on and so forth until not having the civil government to tell you not to speed. <laughs> Although I did get two speeding tickets in the last month, but two? that's only two. It's a pretty good month. <laughs> but, but do you pay them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, there's no way out of these ones as I regret to inform everybody I found out the hard way so uh, speed light speed cameras illegal it's still illegal to speed apparently all right so uh, we're going to talk about membership commitment in the context of the local church which includes the last three topics that we've talked about as far as church government community a community lifestyle and the church as an institution right so uh, it's actually like, you know, if you think of, uh, like, how many people here are, like, on paper, a member of a local church? No, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. No, no, you're not. You're all liars. Because uh, we don't have any church membership in GCF. We don't have an official, so on paper, no. Uh, no one's a member. But, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Well, I'm, I'm a member of the, the church that my parents go to. Well, there you go. Kyle, you're one step ahead of everybody else. Maybe Jonathan is too. I don't know. But, uh, so, uh, you're all liars. Uh, no, we don't have another. That's something we've been working on uh, for like two years now, but I've had things, other things that come up. Still working on it. So, officially, no, but uh, we could say that. Many of you that did raise your hands are covenantal members, and at least under the self-government, you would call yourself a member, uh, but whatever. So, um, well, let's just go of what we hope to accomplish, I guess, uh, what we will accomplish if we get all the way through it. Uh, we're going to review the importance of ecclesiology and what we've learned uh, in the past three or four weeks and understanding the times. Uh, we're going to look at church membership defined. Church membership in the New Testament is not didactic, but assumed. Uh, you'll notice that there's only one thing, um, or actually, I didn't prove this, uh, 
you know, as you look on the David Cornfield article, there's actually no scriptural references for the points he's making. So you're like, whoa, that's, that could be alarming. But we'll see. Uh, which is just saying the church membership of the New Testament, there's no direct, straightforward teaching, but it's just assumed. Like every epistle and every letter and everything is assumed that there's church membership and people are covenantly uh, defined and confined to a local uh, church. And then lastly, we're going to look at local church membership is a question of biblical obedience, not personal preference. Uh that's one of those things where you could just be like, ah, that's not popular. <laughs> I actually stole that from a, a he's Gospel Coalition guy, a popular Gospel Coalition guy, which I was hoping people would just start throwing out names. But <laughs> uh, I actually, that was just a quote from him that I stole off of his article. But, uh, but that's what we're going to see. So... All right, so let's review the importance of ecclesiology, what we've learned, and understanding the times. Uh, let's go to the right this week. So Josiah, look up that First Chronicles twelve thirty-two um, verse. But so, what is ecclesiology? <clears throat> Study of the church. What's the Greek word ecclesia mean? The called out assembly. You can't be a called out assembly of one. Uh-oh. So, the, by the very definition of the words that Jesus Christ uses, uh, when he talks, he only uses the word ecclesia twice in reference to the New Testament church. Uh, Acts uses it 17 times in uh, reference to churches, local bodies of Christians meeting together, but I think it's 23 times total of, like, you know, the mob in Acts 19 is called uh, ecclesia. Um, but I don't think they're, I don't think he was talking about like the church. The church was mobbing against Paul. Uh, that was a different church. <laughs> uh, so, um, you know, we just looked at like from the, you know, we looked at the institutional church. Church is a community way of lifestyle and uh, church government. And we're pretty much making the point over the last three weeks of like just a higher vision. All I want to do is lift everyone's vision to a more biblical standard of what the church is and is to be and how it operates. Because um, like right now, I would say collectively, if we had all of our vision together, we might be sitting at like 10% of like what actual biblical churches are supposed to look like and do. If we like group together all of our mental prowess together and thoughts, not even in actions, maybe we can muster up like 10% of what uh, Jesus and the New Testament authors uh, thought the church and intended the church to be and do. So we got a little bit of way to go. And that's just like obviously my speculation. Uh, but the whole purpose of going through these first ones are just to see, um, you know, lifting our eyes to more biblical standards of Christian community and uh, and life together and not trying to take as much from what we've experienced and uh, our own thoughts, but more of what God's thoughts are. So, um, you know, like there's no, from what I can tell, from what I've like just in my own personal research, like uh, I haven't read a very good book on the church. 
the church, like the, probably the best book on the church I read was like uh, partially Rain, Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, because <laughs> uh, that's all just theology. Uh, and um, Church Membership by Jonathan Lehman, How the World Knows Who Represents Jesus. I read like half of this today, uh, just in preparation. Um, and you ever have those moments when like you read something like three, four years ago or a decade, and then you go back and read it, and you're like, man, like, yeah, like this is really good. Like I thought it was kind of good when I read it like two or three years ago, uh, but I read like half of it today, and I was like, oh man, this is like really, really good. <laughs> like it's everything I was trying to say. So we could just read half this book and just call that the Bible study, but. <laughs> uh, no, it would probably take just as long. I'd probably use less words too. But anyways, uh, you know, like our idea in just the American culture, and even he brings this out, which I thought was, Jonathan Lehman brings this out, which I thought was great, was like our ideas of what the church is, um, like how we live in a community, like what it even means to go to church of like, you know, I'm going to read, uh, it's like, you know, 12 or so statements of like um, our wrong thinking in American Christianity. Not every like culture in the world has these wrong views, like, to be part of a church in, uh, in like, Algeria is much different to be part of a church here in, in the West, right? Like, or anywhere, or like Sudan, one of the most persecuted countries in the world, uh, where I think there's only about, if I remember, uh, about, like, you know, uh, I think it was, like, 60,000 Christians out of, like, the 3 million people or something. Um, and they have, like, an actual regimen part of the Sudanese government that goes out and hunts Christians as part of the civil government. Like, that's, that's a, little, it's a little bit different to be part of a church in that culture and what it means to be a covenantal member and follow Christ. And, and then it's like, there's nobody actively hunting us down and trying to kill us and try to identify Christians and, and imprison us. So uh, we have a little bit skewed view uh, given our culture and... Um, I just put it as like fractured, broken, individualistic, non-unified, and pietistic. And part of what uh, the article that accompanies this is just, you know, making the kingdom of God visible is bringing our ideas out of pietism, out of theory, and into reality. Into like how do we work this out on a day-to-day basis and how does this really look, right? So... um, Let's read that, First uh, Chronicles twelve thirty-two, which is about the sons of Issachar. First Chronicles twelve thirty-two, ESV, of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, two hundred chiefs and all their kinsmen <clears throat> under their command. Yeah, so they knew they knew the signs of the times, and they were knew what Israel was supposed to do, right? Um, you know, one thing I, if, does anybody know uh, the two kind of theological uh, camps um, or, or church groups called uh, American Vision and Federal Vision? No, has anybody heard of them? What if I were to say, like, Douglas Wilson uh, and uh, who wrote Jesus versus Jerusalem? Joel McDermott. Yeah. Or like Peter Lightheart, Douglas Wilson... Uh, would be the Federal Vision guys, and Joel McDermott, uh, and I would have to think of some other names in there, if those sound familiar, uh, would be 
the American Vision guys, um, and they both have are both what's called Reconstructionists, which are, you know, primarily pretty uh, decent ideas about how we're going to influence and change the culture here in America. Um, and the American Vision guys are all about like getting out there and evangelism and going out and. Uh, they're really like pro, you know, street preaching and evangelism and presuppositional apologetics and going in front of abortion mills. And they uh, would believe that that's the way to change the culture, which is partially true. That needs to be done. Uh, but these both came from the same group of people that ended up splitting off, is where I'm pressing that. Uh, but the Federal Vision guys, which I really respect, uh, think the way to reform and change the culture is by first and foremost reforming the church and becoming a more biblical church and then we can be a more uh, biblical group of Christians that can change society. Um, but they're not as pro-social change uh, as the American vision, but they're both like from the same camp and groups of thinking that ended up splitting and both are doing you know, awesome things and you kind of actually have to bring them both, both ideas back together uh, <laughs> To like, to be a little bit more close to biblical. So, um, I just mentioned that because I really respect the federal vision guys because their ideas, first and foremost, uh, the way to change the culture in any society is by first and foremost becoming a more biblical church. And like that's really where it starts. Uh, so I'm gonna uh, just read a couple of these from uh, church membership, just of some of the wrong thinking in America. Mm -hmm. That's largely pietistic and, and individualistic. Uh, so this is the wrong way of thinking, he says. Christians can think it's fine to attend a church indefinitely without joining. Christians think of getting baptized apart from joining. Christians take the Lord's Supper without joining. Christians view the Lord's Supper as their own private mystical experience for Christians and not as an activity for church members who are incorporated into the life into the body life together. Uh, Christians don't integrate their Monday to Sunday lives with the lives of other saints. Now, that's what we talked about in community. Uh, Christians assume they can make a perpetual habit of being absent from the church's gatherings a few Sundays a month or more. Um, Christians buy homes and rent homes or rent apartments with scant regard of, uh, of for how factors such as distance and cost will affect their abilities to serve the church. How many people like uh, make daily decisions and think like, well, how's this going to affect like my community, not just my community life, but how's this going to affect those who I serve or like if I serve or whatever? Uh, Christians don't realize that they are partially responsible for both the spiritual welfare and physical livelihood of other members of their church, even members they have not met. When one mourns, one mourns by himself. When one one rejoices, one re rejoices by him or herself. Uh, so those are all just part of the collective milieu of our Western kind of Enlightenment era, kind of individualistic that, like, I don't have to really be a committed member, right? So um, we're going to define church membership as this is something I came up, took me, uh, I probably could have spent a little bit more time thinking about it, but I wanted to drive home the point of, uh, it's a self-governing self-governing commitment to be covenantally joined to a local body of Christ. I think that's like a not good sentence. 
because <laughs> spell check came up on like every word <laughs> when I wrote that out. Uh, so as long as you guys get the point, I'm sure Deanna's probably like going nuts over there with participles and verb tenses or something. Uh, but various churches handle church membership requirements differently. So uh, when we look at like church membership in scripture, it's not didactic as far as, it's not even didactic as we're going to see uh, of a teaching that people have to be a, com a committed covenant member of a church. But it's just assumed, like why the heck would you not? Like how does, it doesn't actually make any sense unless you make those assumptions off the bat. Um, so I say self-governing govern, governing commitment and their own self-government to be submitted covenantally, right? We have this agreement between us that, uh, you know, between the church members corporately and, the, uh, and individually, right, um, that we're going to be submitted to one another. We're going to uh, uphold Christian ethics and character and God's law, uh, and we're going to submit to elders and the church government, and we're going to, um, you know, look for the the best uh, betterment of the life of the body, right? To glorify Christ and His headship. So that's why I say a self-governing commitment to be covenantally joined to a local body of Christ. Uh, and I just wanted to say that again, so I could see if I can get through it without stumbling. So. Um, and I preface that with like, so why can't we do it like, uh, I guess the question comes up, why can't we do it with one body? Why can't we do that with like several bodies? Why can't I be like committed to like GCF and uh, the church in East Dayton, which is around the block, and Arbor Church and, uh, uh, and Bethel Christian Assembly or Apex? Or why can't I be like covenantally committed to like six churches instead of one? You're not omnipresent. I'm not omnipresent, right? I can't be there every Sunday. Well, you know, I'll go one Sunday here. What do you think, Morgan? Um, I'm just thinking of, like, two different types of scripture. So, like, if you're in a covenant of marriage, for example, look at all the different types of polygamy in the yeah. Bible. I would even not even say generally. It's always best if you're only married to one person. <laughs> 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 you can only serve one master. Now, the church is not your master, per se. It's an on-up, so. Yeah. I mean, we'll see that, uh, number one, there's a pretty strong biblical precedent to only be in one church, uh, and that it's like your interests would be divided, like who do you actually submitting to, uh, what purposes are you serving, and, and whatnot. But, you know, we live, like, in a very weird time in church history where if I don't like my church, I can go to another church. I can't. I get paid by my church, so I'm pretty sure I won't have a job. Uh, <laughs> you, never, you never know. Uh, I don't think I would leave that easy. But, uh, you know, you know, there's like, you know, within a mile, there's uh, six churches from, you know, from GCF. There's five other churches in a mile, I think, or, or more. I think there's probably more than six churches uh, within a mile. Within a half mile, I think there's about six. So if you don't like one, why not just go to the next one, right? Like, but that wasn't, like, like, like we, you couldn't do that, like, 150 to 200 years ago. Like, that just, like, wasn't possible due to, like, you know, travel accommodations and the way cities were set up and, like, that, and locations and stuff. Uh, you know, that's kind of, like, a new phenomenon that uh, in church history we're experiencing, and um, which I, think, I don't think is going away anytime soon. So uh, we as the church have to kind of restore 
some things corporately and um, and look at it more biblically. So, pretty good. Only 25 minutes to get through two points. We are trucking along. Obviously, this next point is like the biggest one. All right, so uh, I'm going to at some point, I didn't put a note on here, but I'm at some point um, going to pull out the Didache. Uh, does anybody know what the Didache is? Or it's also pronounced the Didache. The teaching yeah. of what? Did you just read the cover? No, I knew what that word meant. <laughs> yeah, Didache. What, Didache means teaching. Of the 12 disciples? Of the apostles. 12 apostles, right? That's, uh, it's a historic church father's document of uh, somewhere in the first or second century. It's not exactly known. Uh, Eusebius, who was, I think, in like 320-something. Someone could can fact check that for me. Uh, but Eusebius, who was like the father of church history, um, was probably one of the first references uh, to the Didache and, you know, kind of appointed the title with the teaching of the Twelve Apostles. So this is a non-canonical church document um, that obviously has been translated into English uh, that was written in the early first or second centuries um, that was just like a way on like how to handle church discipleship and uh, rules within the church and like how do you practically live out like church uh, like a training for church membership you could say or discipleship um, and like how do you do various things like I'll I'll try to find a good point to bring this up but I was going to read uh, you know various precepts within the church and like how to handle uh, baptism which are like all things on like practical things on like how to handle church life. So uh, for this to even be written, there had to be a precept of like people living in communities and living in church committed membership. So, uh, but we don't even have to go that far into history. We can stay in the canon for the most part. So uh, church membership in the New Testament uh, is not didactic but assumed. So I guess I'm, I thought about this on the right over here. Uh, what about church membership in the Old Testament? We kind of talked about this in the first week of uh, just looking at the church as the first visible sign of the kingdom. Well, there was like covenant, and you know, if you were a sojourner, there's a covenantal initiation, right, which we would translate to water baptism, um, you know, in the new covenants. Uh, but what else? There's like uh, like even before like the covenantal signs but like so what's like the most first and foremost throughout the Old Testament not ancestors no that's that would be like the so where, who was the church in the Old Testament well who was the church the Israelites so where would you be uh, if you were a part of Israel. In Israel, except for maybe in the exile, you would say, right? Uh, so you were a part of Israel, a nation, geopolitical identification and identity, and there was no living outside those bounds, except for by, uh, you know, cases in the, except for like the exile where they were dispersed due to their disobedience, but eventually always calling back to Jerusalem to live like right there together, right? So you had to be, you were there together. 
right? That's all the point I was making. Um, so, uh, you know, in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, uh, obviously Jesus says that, like, you know, you'll receive power in Acts 1-8 uh, from the Holy Spirit, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Uh, the promise that God had always said that, you know, uh, people will submit to the one true living God on every inch of the earth, and all glory will be received to him, all nations will submit to him, all armies will submit to him is going to come uh, into reality and he's going to use um, you know the next uh, level of authority besides the state that God gives is uh, is the church um, so we see that realized in the New Testament so like all of Paul's missions were focused on establishing and training churches alright so let's look at uh, we won't read all of them let's just read the the bold printed ones um, Kyle, can you get Acts fifteen forty one? Then Dan, Titus one five, uh, John Luke, that Acts eighteen seven through eleven with First Corinthians one two. Um, Christine, can you get Acts eighteen twenty two and twenty three? And then we'll just forget that last one in Acts probably because it's kind of long. Fifteen forty one. Yeah. So your Acts would be Acts uh, 18, 7 through 11. Yeah, with, so you see on the paper there where it's bold? Mm -hmm. With 1 Corinthians 1, 2. I got it. Okay. Hit it. Let's figure out what it says. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Yeah, so he didn't go like, Strengthening individual believers to teach them individually how to walk out their faith in theoretical practice. Uh, this comes right. What, so, what's the big theme of Acts 15? What happens? What is it? So, yeah. So, what do they decide? There's like the first church council. John Luke. Yeah. Yeah. To be a Christian, do you need to be circumcised or not? Like either, uh, you know, storyline on the, the law of Moses uh, to be a covenant member. Do you need to be circumcised or not? And what they decide? No. no. <laughs> right? That's a pretty big thing in Christianity today is that, uh, that you don't need to be circumcised. That you can rely on, you know, grace through faith, right? So what did he, uh, what did they decide? So they sent out a letter to all the churches Not unclean food. Uh, it does say meat, you know, that's been strangled, but from sexual immorality. Uh, and, list, you know, they sent out a, um, a letter to all the churches in the area about, like, you know, how to encourage the believers and be strengthened, you know, staying away from idols, sexual morality, stuff like that, right? So Paul takes that letter with Barnabas. I think it was with Barnabas. Uh, and that's what he's going to do. He's going to go strengthen the churches. This is his second uh, missionary journey, so to speak. So his whole mission was not going to like individual cities to even establish new believers, uh, which he does do a little bit um, on a second trip, but he's just taking this letter to the churches uh, to reinforce healthy doctrine, 
healthy way of Christian life, and he's, he's directly going to the churches, to the assembly of Christians in each city, right? They're already in the first century uh, before, um, uh, I don't know, this probably would have been like in the 50s or 60s uh, AD, already like gathering as committed members in each city and uh, being called churches, right? All right. Titus 1 5. Well, his calls are left to get great that I should be set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I have pointed thee. Right. So Paul's writing to Titus. Um, you know, this probably could have been under uh, the next point that church government implies a level of committed membership, uh, but to appoint elders, right? And he's telling Titus about what to do and, and how to do that. So. Uh, obviously, there's some type of government and community going on there, right? It's not just uh, a free-for-all, you know. So, all right, John, Luke, Acts 17, or 18, 7 through 11, and 1 Corinthians 1, 2. Okay. This is the ASB. Then he left there in the Lord with all the word of God. Above. Yeah, so that's just the historical count and acts of Paul and Corinth. That's what we got to go off of, right? So there's no indication that like he's actually setting up a church or anything there. He's just teaching the word, and who knows? Yeah, so he decides, right, he does this in 2 Corinthians 2, that he's clearly writing to the church. Now, uh, if you guys wanted to really do your research and try to pull some proof text and uh, prove me wrong, there's probably some pretty, like, he doesn't say to the church in you know, what city every time. He doesn't say to the church in Ephesus. He says, like, to all the faithful saints uh, in Ephesus. He doesn't actually identify that as going to the church in Ephesus, right? Um, in Philippians, he writes to, like, the faithful saints um, and the deacons and overseers, which implies a church if there's deacons and overseers, right? But he doesn't, you know, didactically say church. Uh and then, you know, obviously he's not writing to the church in First or Second Timothy. Um, First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians are the same that he says to the church in Thessalonica. Um, but it's pretty clear that all of, his, all of his epistles to a body of people has to be read in a context of, like, a committed group of people working together for the same common, common good, that they're not, like, individualistically just trying to work out their faith uh, privately and not corporately together. Like, if you were like that, there would be no point in the letter in the first place. <laughs> that wouldn't make any sense, right? So that's all I wanted to pull out of those. those. Um, so uh, who, do, who do we have now? Christine, you want to read uh, that Acts 18, 22, and 23? When he had moved at Syria, he strengthened all the disciples. Yeah. So that was his, like, whole mission was to go and strengthen disciples and uh, strengthening the churches as the other Acts passage says so uh, and that was uh, you know if we look at historically uh, Peter and all the other apostles that's what they were doing too we're going and setting up churches right so um, I know there's going to be like you know in each like we have the you know the holy canon and the scriptures to guide us but none of it is like actually didactic on how we do it to you know a certain level, 
So in every church age and throughout history, there's some leeway to give on you know how to practically work out uh, membership and commitment and what that looks like and uh, you know the committed people in like we said in different cultures are going to look different and levels of commitment are going to look different, right? Because I don't actually have to be that committed uh, here in America as I would have to be like my life isn't on the line as you know as far as those in like Sudan. So there is like um, you know, a level that's going to look different throughout history and, um, and from culture to culture. But there are some things that are didactic, like how the government, church governments are ran and stuff like that. Um, so church government implies a level of committed membership, right? We talked about that a little bit earlier. Um, you know, First Timothy 4.7 you know, says, The elders who rule well are worthy of double honor. And Hebrews 13.17, uh, Obey your leaders and submit to them right? That all comes back to self-government, right? If I don't, like we live in a culture uh, and if I don't want to submit to church government, there's nothing that really forces me to, <laughs> except for my paycheck. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I get to keep my job just in my special <laughs> position. But, <laughs> but none of you guys have to. <laughs> it's not going to affect your paycheck. Uh, well, Deanna's. <laughs> It'll affect Deanna's paycheck. Uh, but nobody else currently, right? So that's all a level of self-government. Um, so the only, you know, the second besides are raising our levels of uh, what the church is and supposed to be, you know, uh, raising our kind of vision for that. Like my second kind of like uh, goal throughout this whole, you know, ecclesiological study uh, is to actually like increase self-government and the awareness and the need for your own self-government uh, in context of the church and what that means. Um, you know, just like that, the rest of the Hebrews 13 and 17 says, and let them do this uh, joyously and, and not grievously. <laughs> like, as like a guy who uh, has to regularly find volunteers, uh, I want you to increase your self-government. <laughs> Makes my job easier. Uh, I told... I told Teresa I'm going to call her out because, like, she's a prime example of someone's self-government increasing. Uh, where most people, like, the tendency, like, once you get into like some level of service and people realize that you're serving and you're good at it and you're willing, try to get a little bit more, right? Like Bradbury spent hours and hours in a hot attic over the summer uh, because the 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 summer before he had spent hours and hours in a ditch. <laughs> digging a ditch that we need to fill in this summer by the way uh, you know so we realized uh, he was strong and willing to serve and has a mechanical aptitude so we uh, grabbed as much of his self government as he was willing to give <laughs> uh, so I told Teresa I was going to call her out because I got a call from Deanna today she's like hey did uh, Teresa call you about getting food and I was like no does she want to do that again that was great like I was literally thinking like oh man I forgot to ask someone to grab snacks for RCF uh, I was like oh yeah she, Deanna was like yeah she's going to grab it and uh, and I think she said she's going to do it every week I was like what like no one ever volunteers like this is a wild level of commitment <laughs> like this is crazy <laughs> like I was just like so happy I was like wow <laughs> like I don't have to think as long as I have to think every week, like, who's going to get the snacks? And, like, that relieves, like, stress and 
anxiety off of me. I'm like just so happy and wow, the self-government is amazing. Grow in that more and, and uh, you might find yourself cleaning the church more, although you do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you just might find yourself giving your whole life. Uh, Maybe I'll go on a sabbatical. <laughs> I'm just uh, so, um, so uh, you know, with a church government, like you have, there has to be a level of like self commitment and self uh, commitment to that body. If you're going to obey your leaders and submit to them, if you're going to listen to your elders, if you're going to listen to the deacons, if you're going to even like pay attention to the pastor, <laughs> like what he has to say on Sunday mornings or whatever. Uh, you have to be committed to uh, like a body. Um, I don't know. I guess maybe uh, this goes into the we don't because we talked about church government last week, uh, and we see that the attendance is down this week. So we, let's just <laughs> let's just stop calling out church government, right? No. Um, so obviously, like there has to be a level of like it just doesn't make any sense to be uh, submitted to a church government elders. Uh, in multiple places like you would be uh, serving two masters like even though um, in like we are all the uh, capital C church the Catholic Church all those who are truly regenerate uh, you know in every church that I mentioned uh, we're all part of the same you know unified under one head under Christ so we are, are all theoretically one body right but I don't I don't work together, you know, as we're going to look at uh, some of the passages that actually talks about the body. Uh, I don't work together with the hands and feet or the eyes of Apex Community Church, of Arbor Church, except for maybe Bob. You know, we do a pretty good job of helping each other out. Uh, I don't, you know, work with, uh, where do we go? What's that place? Who was with me? John Luke, what's that church we went to on Saturday? Community United Methodist Church. Uh, you know, we've got uh, Sydney and um, Sam, do you do any whiz kids? No, I think Daniel Daniel does. A couple of people do whiz kids, and we help them out, and we serve, uh, you know, in some, some levels. But we're not on, like, a day-to-day basis committed members of uh, Community United Methodist Church and what God's called them to do and, and be. We're not, like, on a day-to-day working with their hands and feet and eyes and ears as far as the body goes, right? So in some theoretical sense, yes, we're all unified under one head, but I'm not, like, using the, their hands to help me scratch my head, like, you know, in a an algorithm sense. It's kind of like the whole church is just, like, one kid's feet. Yeah. I love my, I love my toenails. <laughs> <laughs> Clip. <I, laughs> uh, so, yeah, so, so in some theoretical sense, like, we are corporately part of the Catholic Universal Church, uh, but not on a day-to-day basis. I'm not, we're not committed to, like, it just doesn't make any sense. You'd be torn in d- different directions. You can't submit to multiple levels of leadership. Uh, it's just, like, not possible, right? <laughs> so, um, so individual growth happens in the context of community, uh, and there has to be, like, this is all going to be backed up. Every one of these points except for Paul's mission uh, but that's what he was going for of like out of the context of my individual self-governing submitting to the church right the local body and expression that 
God has called me into. All of these have to be backed up by that, um, which is where we get the idea of church membership. So uh, just like I was kind of joking around, like, you know, uh, I think, Melody, I think you might have came in a little bit later. Uh, are you a, on paper a committed member of any church? Oh, you were here. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you're like you're not on paper a member of Grace Christian Fellowship, but you are a covenantal committed member, right? So, uh, you know, so think outside of like the box a little bit where there's like specific memberships in churches on paper with different requirements, but uh, you know, for the most part, most of us are covenantal members of Grace Christian Fellowship, and uh, we don't need it. We don't necessarily even need a church membership, uh, you know, on some level, right? That we're working on. So, self-government, self-government, self-government. Um, individual growth happens in the context of community. Uh, has anybody read? We've got in the library. Um, who's the author? When the church was a family. Who is it? Hellerman. Is that Joseph Hellerman? Yeah. Uh, that's a really good book that brings out one aspect of you know, the church as far as living in community. And I can't remember if it was the introduction or the first chapter that brings out like really straightforward evidence that people who move from church to church every couple of years uh, and don't stay committed anywhere never actually end up growing in any real biblical sense. <coughs> Is that the first chapter, not the introduction? It should be the first chapter. Okay. Um, so, and we can think of like all types of like theoretical reasons why people don't stay committed. You know, like uh, some people don't stay committed because they're in the Air Force and they move every two years. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm talking about people who jump from church to church uh, who don't examine their own levels of self-government and biblical patterns to stay committed under that governing body, to stay committed un- into that body and what that body is doing and what God's called that bo- body to be. Um, but obviously there's like some level, like if you find yourself in an unhealthy church and God's calling you elsewhere, that's probably all right. Right. I think we can all agree, uh, if there's healthier doctrine, healthier practices, uh, but then you wouldn't be doing that every two to three years. Right. Cause, uh, like you could never actually go deeper into community, into a way of life to learn. Like, I don't even know if anyone could be part of a church for like a year and, and like, touch the surface on like what you know I'm not talking about our church I'm talking about any church and you know actually understand you know deeply what they're about I think it would take you know probably about a year uh, to two or three years actually uh, in my opinion but you know another kind of current American climate but um, I didn't highlight any of those verses so and I, let's talk about uh, where are we at Jane can you read Romans 12 4 through 8 um, Deanna, can you take a selection of verses for First Corinthians twelve, twelve through twenty, uh, and especially twenty six? Uh, then Melody, uh, I don't know what's that First John passage say. Let's figure that one out. Oh yeah, read that First John, one five to six and seven. What is that supposed to mean? Probably five through seven. That's a typo. Yeah. 
First uh, John one five through seven. Yeah, whenever you're ready, Jane. Yeah, so we're all called, right? That's the first instance um, of like being a body together, serving one another, using our gifts and callings to pretty much build one another up, right? So that can't actually uh, happen, and God hasn't designed it to happen individually outside of community. And God's first and foremost community is uh, well. I, I guess my, I actually word that wrong. Actually, his first community that he puts you in is your family, uh, and usually, uh, if you're in a good Christian family, they'll take you to church. Uh, you know, I should say, um, where does that develop more over time and is committed? Like you're actually not called to be as committed to your family as you are to the church scripturally. Uh, depending on how committed your family is to Christ, <laughs> right? Uh, so I guess, first and foremost, yeah, your community is your family. Um, you'll know your family more than you know your church, you know, until you're like 12, 13, 16, 18, you know, in our culture or something. Uh, you know, it varies in different cultures, but, um, you know, after that, after you have your own family, you know, outside of your personal family, then your next level of commitment and community is the church, right? All right. What's the next one? 1 Corinthians 12. You can read the whole thing if you want. I just figured uh, it's the same kind of concept of using the body uh, analogy. You can kind of select them if you want. Yeah. I forget. I think I was listening to... Uh, NPR, I think it was like a totally secular radio program. I remember I was in my car listening to it, and I was like, this doesn't make any sense outside of like the Christian worldview. And they were doing, this is kind of a sociological uh, aspect of something, and like they're pointing out that like, you know, everybody associates with a community. And they said the healthiest communities, like you identify with a community or a group. I think they had like the name, like the group mentality. Uh, but like those who thrive actually get their identity uh, not in the group, but then uh, they kind of flourish. And not, like they find themselves in the group and identify with the group, but then they also are individuals within the group, if that makes sense. Uh, but that only makes like any sense. The only worldview where that makes sense is like Christianity in terms of the Trinity being our matrix for community where there's one God in three persons. Uh, you know, they are unified and identify as one God, yet are differentiating in three separate persons. Um, and that's really only true and can only really happen um, in a Christian context, right? Like, or out of, at least out of like a Christian worldview, I'd say. That could happen in the business world, but then they're submitting to the realities of Christianity, right? You, can, you should do that in business. Like, that would be a good-run business, right, or a good-run school. Uh, but they're submitting to the realities of Christianity. Um, you know, uh, we're to, so, like, socialism, wouldn't it be, like, a good... They, you need to identify with the group, and in Marxism or communism, identifying with the group, but you never gain any, like, individualistic or, uh, or independence, right? 
and it ends up it's always a defeating worldview. So, um, you know, uh, so we're each with one body, all having different gifts, and the I can't say, like, I have no place for you because I'm not an ear and all this stuff. Uh, like, when we practically live that out, like, here's how, like, what I think of, like, you know, there's uh, tons of people that I know, at least in GCF, that, like, come and serve, and nobody knows that they serve. Like, on Sunday mornings, well, most people don't know that they serve, and most people don't know that uh, I would love to add up the percentage, but I think it's about, like, 35% of church members, and I put members loosely in brackets, people who are committed to GCF currently are serving in some capacity every week, like 35%, I would say, uh, every single week between like, like making meals on Fridays, Sundays, uh, uh, you know, cleaning up on Fridays, uh, Friday nights, Friday before Friday night fellowship, Friday after Friday night fellowship, uh, Saturday afternoon, uh, Sunday before church, Sunday after church, uh, like there's like six times like just in like a 48 hour period uh, where different people are serving um, but that's the way it should be like you know uh, some churches have staff members that clean and they get paid full time and that's probably fine to some degree um, you know but we I think we really do have something special going on where we can actually like you know help people to you know uh, serve in capacities, uh, whether that's like cleaning toilets or vacuuming, um, you know, because they are committed, and how that actually like you know builds more of a commitment towards uh, the body and community. And like I learned more about John Luke over the summer working in a hot sticky attic, but like like we bonded probably more over the summer like working together and doing things. Uh, than we do like on Sunday mornings sitting down listening to a sermon, right? Because uh, we both have, you know, differing gifts, you know, with aspects, but we're both willing to serve and uh, help one another out uh, for the corporate gain of the church, right? Like I'm sure uh, not all the ladies who clean on Saturdays are here, but I'm sure uh, Morgan, you help out on Saturdays, right? And Teresa, do you guys ever work together? Yeah, we Okay. Do you guys ever like get into conversations and you know, is that more? You guys ever find yourself like bonding? Uh, Not only talking to her. I'm <laughs> 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 just kidding. I love you. <laughs> Sorry, the vacuum. Right. Yeah, we just pretty much ignore each other. Not really. Like, no, we've actually had a lot of pretty good talks since I just, I'm about to move into her house too. So oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, you know, so, you know, that's just an aspect of, like, serving. Uh, but that's just, that's just an aspect of serving, right? Of doing remedial things that nobody ever knows about or nobody gets glory for. And, like, nobody probably actually has ever thanked you for, like, cleaning up. Thank you. <laughs> Except for now. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, until we make it. So, you know, but there's, like, you know, like, like, like uh, John Gray, Am Vesh, uh, Sam Moante, like John Luke, Josiah, like there's most of the guys, like Bradbury, like most of the guys in the room have like helped me out spiritually to some level of like either understanding something or a form of correction or whatever, like on the more spiritual side, right? If you have an exhortation, a psalm, whatever, right? But 
you know, if you don't have that, like, level of personal commitment to the body, like, you're never going, like, I would have never experienced friendship with John Luke and working in an attic. Or, uh, you know, if I never lived with Alan Vesh, I would have never, you know, experienced the ways he, like, he'd helped me out and grow in Christ. And um, there would have never been, like, I never would have been able to, like, you know, admit my sins to him so that he can pray for me. <laughs> right? James 1. I think we have it on there somewhere. Uh yeah, James five sixteen. Um, you know, uh, does it say admit or does it say confess. confess your sins to one another so that uh, you may be healed? To the you know, prayer of a righteous person has great power and working or whatever, right? Like, how are you supposed to confess your sins to one another if, uh, like, I don't confess my sins to to people at Arbor Church. <laughs> I don't go over there on Sundays and be like, hey, by the way, uh, right? It actually, it'd actually be like very unhealthy to confess your sins to people you're not in covenant community with and don't trust. And I think that's why a lot of people don't have levels of accountability, which I think, who is next? Melody, do you have the one first, John? Yeah. Read that real quick and then we'll go and in, go into it. Yeah, so this is like probably a, pro- a good verse to like to draw like where uh, the Bible just assumes you're in a committed community covenantally together. Like that doesn't really make any sense outside of that. Uh, you know, unless you wanted to like just define your own terms of fellowship and walking in the light and not use biblical terms and examples. Um, like, but that's not like, but that's in largely not what we have in Christianity in America today, just in the West, uh, just in the enlightened areas, uh, most persecuted countries and, uh, you know, not just third world, but, you know, kind of second world countries probably do better at this because, uh, you know, that they, they have a cultural atmosphere of less being less individualistic. Um, so, you know, I don't think I can stress enough that, like, you know, your individual growth, like, I don't know if I want to say, be as didactic to say, like, you can't grow in the Lord outside of community, but there's actually no way for you to work out your growth, even if the Lord does somehow bring you growth and maturity. There's no way to walk that out outside of community. <laughs> like, that would just be theory and not practice. Like, I can't grow in Christian character and not getting upset with people uh, by not interacting with people. Like, the, the answer to, like, Christian growth and character wasn't to avoid people so that I don't have to deal with them. That way I don't get angry, <laughs> right? Like, God's means of grace, like, flow through, uh, I don't want to say, like, natural means, but, like, through, flow into ways for you to express it and work it out. And one of those is community in the church. Like, if I have a character problem with getting upset and angry, or like even more realistic to myself is I have a problem with authority. I get mad at p- when people tell me what to do. Like I clearly have, I'm in the wrong job. Because <laughs> all, like my, my whole day is people, uh, multiple people, it's like sometimes it's Deanna, sometimes it's Greg, uh, sometimes John or Jason, like tell me what to do and that's what I do. People tell me what to do and I do it. And I, <laughs> my natural body hates that. My natural sinful nature, right, hates to submit to authority because I want to be the authority. But like, I could never grow in Christian character in real ways if I didn't have real ways to submit to that. 
if I didn't have a, a real way to submit to my elders or leaders, that means I haven't actually grown. That means it's all theory. It's not, it's not practiced, right? Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I mean, individual growth can possibly happen outside of community. Uh, you know, I think the Lord does bring things, like I've probably grown some in private, you know, prayer and worship and study of Scripture, but it can never be walked out outside of community. It can never be, like, fully realized or, or I don't know if I want to use the word actualized, uh, using, like, modern psychological terms to, like, actually be real. So, uh, and that has to happen through, you know, individual commitment to a local body. There's just kind of no way around that one. Um, so hopefully that helps a little bit. Does anybody, like, want to grow in Christian character? No. <laughs> Some people don't. <laughs> I think I got a little bit of ways to go. All right, so uh, moving on. Local churches have to know about their people to care for them, right? And that's prefaced by if the local churches know about their people intimately, that there's people probably have some level of commitment. You know, we're going to look at characters in the Bible or Scripture references. Like, you have to be a, a member, and they, like, there's instances of where Paul names people in Romans 16 by name, like 30 people. He's like, oh, yeah, and tell these people this, and this person. Like, he names, like, 30 names. And it's like, Paul, come on, man. Like... <laughs> Like, cool it down. We know you've been to a lot of churches. <laughs> we know you started a lot. Uh, but, like, there's a mandate in Scripture, as we'll see, of, like, local churches taking care of their members and how to... I'm not talking about, like, discipleship. I'm talking about, like, caring for their needs, um, which we'll see um, physically and spiritually, I guess, uh, in two different passages. But they, they, they'd have to know them. They'd have to know their problems. They'd have to know if they're qualified. Those people would have to be committed members of that covenant community for them to even know about that uh unless you would say we're going to fill out a, we're going to we're going to be passing out papyrus paper and please fill out this short survey uh to see if you're a qualified widow right so uh where are we at morgan hey read that uh first timothy three first timothy five three through sixteen and then bethany can you read galatians six one Yeah, so let's handle that Galatians six one. Like, you have to know about the person. Like, if I was like in, uh, if I was given prone to betting uh, people for strange things, uh, <laughs> like, and I was losing a lot of money, like people would have to know about it in the community to call me out of my sins and be like, hey, Steve, like maybe you should stop betting people to see if they could like chug gallons of water and lose your money or something, <laughs> like. Uh, like which, by the way, don't do. <laughs> it's possible, even if you think it's not possible. Uh, which most of you guys know about. There was an incident last week, which is why I just signed money. Um, but like you know, if anyone's like caught in a sin, like restore them gently. But you have to know that they're in a sin. You would have to be like the Bible just assumes that people are living in like a covenantal context of where uh, they're putting the church community as like so close and knowing about each other and fellowshipping so closely that they would know. Like it'd be, it should be scary if someone's like part of a church for like more than like six to eight weeks and you don't know uh, if they're like involved in egregious sins or not. <laughs> like 
that should be weird to us, but it's not. I was part of a church for like six years and hiding sin, and I like, you know, I was actually so, you know, not walking in the light and not in fellowship, or when they find out about my like sexual morality and sins, that I decided I'm just going to go to another church because I don't want to handle it, <laughs> right? Like, uh, that's what we do in the culture today. Like, and that's what I did, because you could do that. Because I didn't have self-government submitting to the church and walking in the light. So it has to be a level. Uh, scripture just assumes that communities should be doing this, should be walking in the light and fellowshipping. And more often than not, Scripture references and points to that you're not fellowshipping with the Father if you're not doing that. Which we handled... Uh, Probably, I think we did the first week, right? So, uh, what about widows? Seems to be a lot of widows that Timothy knows, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, if there's so many widows in the church that we're going to take care of them. Uh, so I actually want to throw this out here uh, just because I've heard it a lot and kind of bring it into, like, modern life. Um, how many people, let's just raise, maybe we can do this probably. How many people are frustrated with the way the American welfare and government subsidy programs are run and handled. Okay, with people who are frustrated with that, uh, how many people have heard by yourself or, keep your hands up, everyone, that is, uh, <laughs> how many people have heard that the church should solve and provide that, that welfare and assistance? Nobody put their hand down? How many people have actually thought about how the church has done that or when they've asked other people have had a clear answer on how the church can do that? I'm going to keep my hand just because I'm doing the teaching and I've thought about it a little bit and I've read a couple of articles. So not many. Most people uh, have put their hands down, right? So I've actually heard a lot. Um, I, I guess I shouldn't say a lot. I've heard often... Uh, that the church should be providing the welfare and the government subsidies and the programs to help out, like, like Timothy, uh, to the widows, right? So here's what happens when you don't look at it biblically and you look at it from more of the cultural context of what you're surrounded by and not referring and looking deeper into Scripture. Uh, nobody could actually answer that correctly uh, on how the church could solve the welfare issue or the government subsidy issues outside of covenant community. So where were the uh, where's the where are the widows um, inside or outside the church in First Timothy? In their homes with their families. Yeah, well, they were they part of the church or not part of the church? Part of the church. They, they were, were part of the church. church yeah. Clearly, part of the church, right? So. Um, Although, from what I can tell, I would have to do a little bit more research. Uh, the church has always had, I'm talking about the universal Catholic church, has always reached out and helped outsiders in some form or another. But largely, scripturally, the mandate is for those inside the church. We have a pretty good track record at GCF of helping people come out of government assistance and welfare programs to a large degree because we feel... Like that's an important part of helping you grow vocationally and economically and in character uh, and oh no man nothing except for love and uh, whoever works work, work unto the Lord um, and all that stuff there's a whole you know theology behind that 
Uh, but if you don't marry the concepts of the government is the answer to these government pro programs, right? Like, I don't think uh, anybody like looks at, as we see the seven institutions here, that the civil government being the smallest uh, can actually effectively address that problem to any degree. They could throw money at it, right? But they can't help people grow in character and help them find stable jobs because there's no accountability. They're not walking in the light. There's no fellowship. There's no calling. There's no teaching. There's just uh, unaccountable money. And that's the only way it could ever be. The church is the only way to handle that, right? And it's not by the church just throwing out money to everybody. It's like helping committed members uh, grow in character indeed. And like there's, there's clear qualifications, like don't enroll a woman who's less than 60. Like here's a very clear stipulation that like, uh, and if your family, if you don't have like believing family members that are helping out, go to them first, right? He's setting down rules and guidelines within the church to actually help people grow um, and actually like care for them and actually provide for those who are in need, right? Like, uh, was it the, I can't remember in, is it Acts 6 where the seven kind of deacon type people, was it taking care of the widows or just serving bread? I can't remember. It was mostly widows. It was serving tables for widows. Yeah, it was like more widows. We need more widows in our church. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> We should welcome them in, yeah. Um, we don't have as many widows as the first century church had, obviously. Uh, There's a clear problem, probably due to the culture. Um, but, like, how are you going to actually care for and, like, people who aren't, like, committed members, who aren't, like, actually in the church that you don't know about? How are you going to... Like, you can't. It doesn't make any sense because the Bible is assuming that they're committed, that they're in, that they're part of a community. Right? All right. Uh, moving on. Discipleship cannot happen without a covenantal commitment. Uh, discipleship never happens outside of the church. I should say it never happens. That's probably wrong. Uh, we have parachurch ministries uh, that do discipleship, but um, the clear scriptural context is within the church. So, Joshua, can you read uh, 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 15, and then Bradbury, can you read 1 Corinthians 4, uh, 14 through 20? Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our but warn him as a brother. Yeah, so that last part is, uh, well, I guess we're just focusing on, uh, for the most part, is like, um, he's giving instructions, like, to a church of, like, uh, you know, how to handle, like, the, the community. Like, don't, uh, like, do it with gentleness and respect and, you know, treat this person, uh, you know, but, like, how to handle this person. Like, but that happens in community and commitment, right? All right, 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 20. Yeah, that's pretty bold of Paul to write. <laughs> like, hey, I hope what I uh, hear about isn't true, and I hope when I come I don't have to uh, discipline you guys. Like, that's not like... <laughs> Think about that. Like, that's pretty, that's pretty uh, bold of Paul to say, but, uh, you know, all this, like they, have, like, they could easily say, Paul, we don't want to listen to you, which is why his second letter, you know, 2 Corinthians is a letter, because they end up not... 
uh, wanting to follow his apostleship. But, you know, they have to be, like, committed and submitted to Paul and his apostleship to even, like, have Paul able to write that. Like, I hope your arrogant words aren't as they assume, I assume they are, or seem to be. Uh, but we'll find out when I get there. <laughs> right? But he's also saying that, like, you know, you had many, like, one of my favorite verses here is, you had many guides in Christ, but not many fathers. Right? Because anybody came your father in, in the preaching of the gospel. Like, that's a, an aggregate statement of, like, you know, a closeness, uh, a commitment to one another, uh, not just a commitment to follow, but a commitment to lead and, you know, with godly rule and uh, and gentleness and bringing them up in, uh, in a way a father would a son. So uh, it's supposed to happen within the church, uh, but we've gotten outside of that um, in modern times. All right. Uh, church, I'll just like, this is pretty obvious. Church discipline can't happen without covenant membership. Um, you know, that Matthew 5, or I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 5 uh, of, you know, saying expel, when you get, get, to, get together, you know, expel the immoral person from among you, uh, hand them over to Satan in your public gathering. Uh, Matthew 18, you know, the principle of if your brother sins against you, go to them privately and tell them, if he still doesn't repent, take two or three witnesses with you, two or three brothers with you. Uh, and if they're still unrepentant, uh, take them before the church. And if they're then not repentant, you then treat them as a uh, as a tax collector. And then I think First Timothy five twenty is something about exposing the sins and uh, like right. You'd have to be like covenantally submitted to a lead uh, a community. Uh, not just the government, but the community by large, to have that. Or you could just say, I don't want any part of this. Forget you. <laughs> right? You could say, well, you're not my dad. Well, maybe I am your dad in Christ. <laughs> maybe I am. Uh, so that one's pretty self-explanatory. All right. So, with two minutes left, <laughs> uh, the next point, or last point I wanted to make um, I still can't remember the guy's name from the Gospel Coalition, but I'll figure it out. Uh, local church membership is a question of biblical obedience, not personal preference. Um, you know, part of Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen through twenty, where in Jesus, like all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, uh, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And uh, I am with you to the end of the age. Like, if you're going to, like, to specifically make disciples means to make them how Jesus did it. Make disciples how Jesus did it. Uh, in the context of, you know, he had uh, James, Peter, and John, who he spent the most time with, and the 12 disciples, uh, or 12 apostles, and then, you know, it seems at least the 70 or 72 others, and then there was probably at some point hundreds, if not, you know, sometimes thousands of people following Christ. And he made disciples... Uh, in small batches, laboring in a community together. Um, you know, anytime those disciples could have left and done whatever the, else they wanted. Uh, but they were, they were committed to him, to his headship and his leadership. Uh, you know, so Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, uh, don't neglect meeting together as some of you do or have a habit of doing. So, you know, looking at all this in context, I don't think 
I'm not talking about like church membership on paper, because almost none of us are church members on paper. So that can't be, <laughs> that can't be it, right? I don't think there was actual church membership papers, uh, probably until, you know, that's, this is just my guess, but I would just make an assumption. Uh, anybody can do some research to find out of actual like written church membership, you know, until about the time of Constantine when Christianity was legal and it, you know, became prominent and Christians didn't have to like hide underground and afraid of persecution. I think you knew who were the members by those who were committed and uh, probably much of the way a lot of the world, the churches work in the world today, right? So, you know, with all this, if you put this all together, uh, you know, you, the Bible like clearly assumes and just as much as it assumes that God is God, it assumes that uh, churches have memberships and people who are committed to that community and how that benefits them and how that benefits the community is is more didactic than uh, some of the other stuff. But you know, it's not a member. It's not a matter of like whether you want to be part of a church or not, right? Always biblically, it's always whether you want to obey Christ or not, or whether you want to walk in uh, obedience to Christ's headship or not. And that's all it really boils down to, you know, in the end. Uh, and and then everything else comes out of that, right? So does that make sense to most everybody? Hopefully that was a little helpful to maybe at least one person. All that just sounds like, man, I think I'll find a new church. <laughs> <laughs> My time's up. All right, somebody want to pray and close us?